0: Hope Church. We're going to be continuing this morning our study through the Book of Matthew. Last week we started chapter twenty-six. We did verses one through thirty-five. So we're going to continue in our study in Matthew here towards the last days of the life of Jesus. This uh, this morning we will be looking at verses thirty-six. Through seventy-five, and again, just like last week, you guys, I'm, I've got the iPad out here, so I feel like all all fancy. Um, I was telling, I mean, I know a lot of people were out of town last week, but um, I never never once have used the iPad, and it's the reason is we just moved, and um, all the, or I can't find any connections for my printer, so I'm old school. I like to print paper, but I have no access to anything because half of my belongings are still in the still at, um, still in boxes. So um, I will pretend to be fancy this morning as I as I use the iPad. But let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and, and open our Bibles here to Matthew chapter twenty six, verses thirty six through seventy five. I'm just going to give a short introduction. We're going to l- read the passage and then we will go back through it and uh, and look at it verse by verse. But as we've been talking and studying through Matthew, we keep there's all these verses in Matthew that the authors give us, looking back to all of these things that are fore- foretold about the Messiah. Uh, we have the account of these people that walked with Jesus, that were His closest disciples, the things they went through, the things they had experienced, the amazing miracles they had seen, Um, already so many things that have been foretold about the Messiah from the Old Testament, from the uh, prophets, and um, uh, so many things have already come true in the life of Christ, and everything is leading up to the moment that is just in front of us, which is the cross and eventually the empty tomb. Uh, This... All history is leading up to this point. This is—we're reading these st- stories, we're reading this account, and there's no bigger headline that has ever been written in the history of mankind. Uh, we see Revelation thirteen eight—the land that was slain from the foundation of the world—that we've talked about in Revelation in our study of Revelation. Before time began, this was planned. That the, that this would be God's great rescue plan for all of mankind. Adam introduced these problems that everybody, that all of us have been suffering from for all for all time. Sin. How, how do we deal with? How do I deal with my sin? What do I do with that? How do I? How can, How can I get rid of it? How can I not do it again? How do I atone for the sin that I've already done? There's something that human beings just can't do. We, we've made religion. We've made so many ways to make ourselves better, make ourselves appear better, but we can't make ourselves good enough to be in the presence of God. That's just not something that we can do. We've manufactured all kinds of things throughout history, but there has not been there's not been anything that's ever been devised to take care of the problem of sin and also the separation from our creator. When Adam was placed on this earth, when he was made and formed in the garden, Jesus, I mean the Lord walked with him in the garden. We were designed to walk and experience communion with our maker. That's what we were designed for. But because of sin, we are separated in our relationship from Him, and we can't bridge that divide. It can't be crossed. So the sin problem, separation from our Creator, two huge problems that have plagued mankind for all of history, and the Lord Himself is making a fix for it, and has already planned and prepared that fix, and we are leading up to that moment right now. So I'm going to read right now from the New King James um, as I read this whole section just so we can uh, grab the section in total and then we'll go back through it and then when I'm reading it verse by verse we'll be looking at the NIV. But let's go ahead and read this together. Verse 36. uh, Then Jesus came to the place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you, be, uh, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who will take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then can the Scriptures be fulfilled? Uh, that is, uh, this is what must happen. Uh, in that hour, Jesus le- said to the multitudes, uh, Have you come out as uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not see- seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who laid hold of uh, Jesus led him, Away to Caiaphas the High Priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went and sat with the servants to see the see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said. I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered to him, saying, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He is deserving of death. And they spat on his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, "You were also with Jesus of Galilee." But he denied it before them all, saying, "I did not know what you were saying." And then he uh, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, "This fellow was was with Jesus of Nazareth," but again he denied with the oath, "I do not know the man." A little later, those who stood by came up. And said to Peter, "Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you." Then he began to curse and swear, saying, "I do not know the man." Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, "Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times." So he went out and wept bitterly. And let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. Uh, For giving us your word to look at. um, To know what you want from us. And Lord, I just thank you so much for this account that we have from the people that were with Jesus. What Jesus said and what Jesus experienced. And Lord, thank you for this insight into um, his humanity even. in the struggle that he had um, knowing what he would face and even this, uh, this last time of frustration and temptation. And, uh, and I just thank you that we get to see that our Lord got to experience pain even in this world and that He can intercede on our behalf because He knows what it's like to en- endure hardship as we all endure from time to time. So we thank you, Lord, for that grace. And pray for us, Lord, as we look into these verses, that you would, you would speak to our hearts through your word, and that you would teach us something that you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's go through this. Uh, Let's look at verse 36. Now, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to him, sit here while I go over there and pray. So we've just had the dinner that they had, if we remember from last week. and. Jesus has already told them multiple times that he is going to be mistreated. He has told them, that his disciples, that he is going to be killed. And then at this supper that they had just had, he had told them that he was going to be betrayed. And then we see, uh, as we talked about last week, that Judas, Satan entered him. He went out and was about to uh, bring the the crowd to arrest Jesus. Jesus knows what's coming, but he is being uh, faithful to his father. So he takes his, the other disciples besides Judas and goes up to Gethsemane. Uh, it's a Hebrew name, Gethsemane, which means oil press. So this would have been right outside of the city, uh, the city of Jerusalem at the base of the Mount of Olives. Now, um, I, anybody that's talked to Chet after he's been on the, his recent excursion over, uh, over overseas, they went to Jerusalem for a while, and they actually got to see some wine presses and an oil press too, so you should uh, check that out because that would have been what was uh, part of that mechanism. Would be something like what was just right here in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it was probably a common place for Jesus to go when he visited Jerusalem. Um, Jesus, Judas knew exactly where to find him. Um, it, it, you should do some uh, reading on Gethsemane. It looked like it was a really neat neat place to go and pray. Not for this night though, as Jesus was uh, deeply distressed. Verse thirty-seven. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. So again, we see James and John and Peter, this inner circle uh, that Jesus takes with them. You know, it's the same group that we had when we saw the raising of Jairus's daughter, and uh, in back in Matthew 17, if you remember, the Mount of Transfiguration. Also, these are the same that went up with Jesus and saw him transfigured before the people. So these are like the guys of the guys, and even these guys fall asleep when man. That, I fall asleep so easy, can I tell you? We haven't even gotten to that part, and there's a whole lot more to the story. But I, uh, in, in high school, I fell asleep at, e- after lunch every single day. didn't matter what class was after lunch. I fell asleep in every single one of them. Even if I really cared, I got to where, and even like my first, I don't do that too bad anymore, but in my first year in college, whatever class I had right after lunch, I didn't even get a seat. I just went to the back and stood up. I was like, I'm, I'm here, professor, because if I sit down, I'm, I'm done so i have i have a uh, and i was not going through the distress that the disciples were going through so i've got some sympathy sympathy for them but he says to these three my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me so this idiom is used for, to display incredible anguish you now jesus is not saying i'm kind of upset a little bit i mean jesus knows what is coming and he still you know he's he's a spiritual he is god he's a spiritual being but he's also very much human and he and knows what is coming and the ramifications spiritually and physically of what's coming and he is distressed he is really distressed uh and he asked them he knows that they're that what he knows what his disciples have been through and, and he knows their mental state too but he asked them to stay and keep watch with him so why is why is jesus anguished to the point of death? why is why is he going through this incredible torment uh, inwardly is he f- afraid of physical death is that it i know i'm about to be you know and he knows what's coming and he knows it's going to be the most painful form of death imaginable but is that why he's freaked out I, I, you know i don't think that's necessarily it i know his body is probably screaming out against the, even if i knew that i had to die and my death would be for many people and it would be worthwhile you could convince me logically to be sure i can do that yes i'm ready let's do that i'm still not looking forward to that You know, you're going to die slowly. A slow, painful death is going to be miserable. Nobody's looking forward to that. So his his physical body recoils at the idea of the fact that he's going to have to die. But there's something bigger going on that is epic and it's never going to be repeated again. He's going to bear the weight of sin for all time at one moment here on the cross. Now, that's, uh, that, that sounds really big and a bit incomprehensible to me, just to think of that. Like, he's going to bear the weight of all sin on the cross. It, to make that a l- little more understandable, I can break it down to my sin because I can think of the number of horrible things or things that I have done that I know are not right, that I know deserve punishment, and I can think of the fact that he bore those on the cross. That's, that's heavy. I'm just one person. We're talking about all people for all time. And he bore that weight. The bigger deal, I think, too, is that he's going to be separated from the Father. Now, that also to us might not sound so big, but God is three in one. The Father and the Son have always been in perfect unity. We see in Scripture that they are both the Alpha and the Omega. They've always been. They always will be. They, have been, they were in perfect unity before. They will be in perfect unity forever. And um, even while Jesus was on the earth, you know, the Lord uh, affirmed him publicly two times. He constantly walked with Jesus, even on the earth. Uh, now Jesus is going to have to die alone and be separated for the first time in eternity past, eternity future, going to, the relationship between the Father and the Son is going to be severed, and Jesus is going to have to walk and carry the weight of sin alone. And he's going to have to do that very shortly. Um, uh, you know, I think we can all understand the pain and torment of a broken relationship. Has anybody ever been up late night crying over a broken relationship? I'm sure everybody has at one point some time. We, I mean, human beings were made in the image of God, imago Dei. Our, 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 our ability to have relationships with one another, how our emotions work, are all born out of the fact that we are made in the image of God. And our relationship that we have with other people is wonderful, but it is nothing like where we get that from, the perfect relationship, the perfect harmony that's in the Godhead. And knowing that that relationship and that line is going to break is something that is that I don't think that we can fully grasp and will ever completely understand, but the Lord is going to have a heartache and physical pain at the same time in a way that none of us will ever be able to understand or experience. And He is looking forward to this in just a few short hours, and and so rightly, understandably, He is He is very troubled and uh, and very very saddened. We see in Luke 22 that an angel actually appears to strengthen him, um, in verse 44 in Luke 22. And being in anguish, she prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, he, I mean, it's 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 all it's as sad and as, and as as tough as this is to see the Lord wrestling with the pain that's going to come and wrestling for the souls of mankind right here in the garden. It's also comforting to me to know that when I face a broken heart or I face pain, I have a Lord that can understand that. I might, sometimes I'm like, Lord, you, you never had your heart broken. You don't know. You know. Yeah, He He knows in a way that we will never know. What any heartbreak that we might experience is only a, a, a fraction of what is happening here. So the Lord can understand what we're going through. You know, and in the coming verses, he addresses God as Abba, Father that familial, uh, familial term, Abba, Father close Father, but on the cross he will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So verse 39 Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed my Father, if it is possible may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will uh, now, I grew up in Virginia Beach, st- same house my whole life until I came to college from the time I was three to the time I was 21, and the entire time I lived at that house, for all of my memory, in the living room, there was a big painting of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and in the picture, he, he looks fairly regal, and he's got his hands folded, and he's leaning on a, on a big rock, and um, he's got a halo coming up from around his head, and That's not at all what it says happened. He fell with his face on the ground and prayed. So I mean, our Lord and Savior is sitting here in the dirt, in a garden, in the dirt, with his face on the ground, saying, "If there is any way, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, as you will." And you know, he says, "If there's any way, you know, is is there is there some other way?" You you see this like this struggle. And you see uh, that he's willing, he's completely willing to do what is necessary. He's going to do whatever the Lord requires, but at the same time, if, if there's any other way. And that, you know what that does remind me? It reminds me of when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. When Satan says, I'll give all of, you know, he takes him to the high mountain, Look, at, looks out over the kingdoms. I'll give this all to you if you bow down and worship me. You know, the Lord had temptations of other ways to right the wrongs in this world, and He had incredible power and could have it in multiple ways, probably righted all the wrongs and, and ruled in power, but he 's not doing that he 's going to be faithful and, and be led by his father. I also think of when Pete, you know, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he says you 've got it, Peter and then he, and then as soon as he says that, Jesus says that he 's going to die. And Peter said, No, Lord, ne- this will never happen to you. You're the Messiah. This is not going to happen to you. What does Jesus say to him immediately? Get thee behind me, Satan. The temptation, I think, again, that is sa- that trying, I think even Satan, obviously, in multiple times we've seen Scripture trying to tempt Jesus, of, there's another way that you can do this, not God's way. How about you do it your way? And that's, you know, that's kind of how Satan works. He, he, he comes with a little bit of truth and says, Yep, yeah, you're here to, you, you're, this is your purpose, X, Y, and Z, but let's do it another way, not the Lord's way. What does the Lord know anyway? I and mean, that's how he tempted Adam and Eve. So Jesus is here wrestling. Is there any other way, Lord? You know, he's, he's wrestling in his humanity and his divinity for the souls of men for all time. And this is his last temptation, and he's about to face death alone. Is there any other way, Lord? But he'll have to carry that cross alone. And if we're crying out loud, his own disciples can't stay awake with him. So he's, he's going to be very much alone. Uh, they will run through the hills once he's arrested, as we see it was prophesied in the Old Testament, as we spoke about last week. Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. Um, cup, that's kind of a weird thing. Let this cup pass from me. We see uh, that in the Old Testament, the cup is used as a picture of judgment. There's multiple verses in the Old Testament. I'm just going to pick one of them. Psalm 75, 8. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. We see that a cup is often used for this cup. is not like, oh, I'm going to have something to drink. No, it's a cup of judgment that has to be uh, drank down to its very dregs. And Jesus is going to have to drink that alone. And, and, and can you imagine that? That's just, that's just crazy for me to think um, that He would be willing to do that for us. And we, it reminds me of Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hanged from a tree. That The creator of the universe, perfect being, never did anything wrong. When you talk about people getting what they deserve, perfection became a curse. For us, It's just incredible. Incredible love. Verse 40. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, if we read the account in Luke, it's, it's, it says that they're exhausted from from sorrow, it's not that they're just bums that are like, "Yeah, oh, Jesus is going to pray. Let's take a nap." Jesus says to stay up, stay up and pray. We're going to t- take a nap. No, I mean, Jesus had told these guys multiple times that they're going to die. He's going to Jerusalem to die. They marched with him to Jerusalem. He tells them once they're in Jerusalem that he's going to die. He tells them that he's going to be betrayed. Uh, he told Peter just shortly before, "Hey, you're going to deny me three times." All these guys are getting all this bad news upon bad news upon bad news. <laughs> And they just had this dinner, and Jesus told them at this dinner, I'm not going to drink from this, the, the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in you and my Father's kingdom. They've been following him three years, having meals with him every day. And he says, this is the last one, guys, this is the last one. So these guys, understandably, are they're, they're not having a good day. I mean, this is also the wee hours of the morning, likely, or it's very, very late. And they're tired, and they're exhausted, and the Lord says, please stay up with me one hour, keep watching, pray. But they can't do it because they want to. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think, too, even, even for Jesus, you know, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's not dealing with uh, a, a weak flesh in the sense of a sinful flesh. But even, even Jesus' flesh is recoiling at what's gonna, what is going to come. But He's going to be faithful to the end. And he says, lest you fall into temptation. So wh- what temptation are they falling into? into sleep? You know, I, I don't think that that's necessarily it. You're going to be tempted to sleep. Well, I, I don't think that was... Because that's not sinful in and of itself. They're about to be scattered. A lot of horrible things are gonna, coming. And they're going to be tempted in ways that, they've never, ne- ways that they've never known. And they need to be on guard spiritually for sure. Um... It's, it's been tough for the disciples up until this point, and it's about to be tougher. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I hear that and I say, amen. You know, um, the disciples want to do what is right, but they're exhausted. I, this last few weeks, we've, uh, we moved into a new house. There's been multiple days where I get up at 6, get ready to go to work get home at 4.30 and start working on stuff at the house, make dinner, go to bed after like one in the morning. And I've done that a couple nights in a row, which is not necessarily wise. I've found myself a couple nights being very short with my girls and just being not nice at all in a sinful way. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that at all. But, um, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, And so I definitely can identify um, with what they're going through right here. So verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So we see him going back and praying again, but still being willing to be uh, submissive to the father. And 43. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 44. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. In his anguish, he's going back and and praying and praying again, uh, still submitting to the Father. And verse 45. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And as we spoke about last week, you know, there's times before already we've read about in Scripture where people wanted to have Christ killed. They went to lay hands on him to stone him or put him to death or what, do what they wanted to with him, but he passed through their midst miraculously because it was not his time. He had healed people in the past, if we remember, and said, hey, don't tell anybody. You, you would think, right? If you if that it would be a good idea for him to go and tell everybody that Jesus healed me, but he would heal people and say, "Don't tell anybody," because he doesn't want to. Uh, it's not his time. It's not time for people to grab him and do with what do they, what they want to with him. But now he's saying, "My hour is here. This is the time." He says, "Here comes my betrayer, uh, Judas." Uh, Jesus knew Judas was on the way even before he showed up. You know, as Satan had entered him. To finish the job that Judas has already started of of uh, betraying the Lord, we see from last week that even before Satan entered him, Judas had decided that he did not believe in Jesus, and he went to see say he went to, went before the leaders in the Sanhedrin and said, "What will you give me um, uh, if I turn him in, turn him over into your hands?" He was ready to betray him. Um, and maybe they even they're sitting here in the garden. Maybe they even saw some torches coming up their way. Uh, here in the dark. And while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. That's the Sanhedrin. And we talked about before how they met in the middle of the night. Figured they weren't going to meet in the daytime with everybody there to see what they wanted, but they went to Caiaphas's house in the middle of the night to figure out how in the world we can trap this guy. He's out there every day. We could go arrest him at any time and have a real trial, but how are we going to trap him in the middle of the night, have a, have a, a nighttime trial that nobody will notice and put him to death so that nobody will riot. Verse 48, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. So it says here that there's a large group. So it's possible there could have been some Roman guards with them. They're very likely what would have essentially been the temple police. They've commonly had clubs. So it's a large group from the Sanhedrin that went out for him. You know, Jesus had a lot of followers. In the daytime he would speak and a lot of people would listen to him, but they probably figured at night there wouldn't be that many with him, probably just his closest disciples. But still they're not taking any chances, and they send a large bunch of people out in the middle of the night to come get him. And also, it was nighttime, so it might have been dark. So when uh, Judas is talking with the Sanhedrin leaders, how are we going to figure out who to hand over in the dark? He says, the one I'll go to and kiss is going to be the one. Now, everybody probably would have recognized Jesus because in the daytime he's teaching publicly. But maybe that was the deal they made since it was going to be dark so Judas would ensure that they're they're grabbing the right man and not an imposter or not another one of the disciples. And he goes and with a kiss betrays his maker. Verse 50. Jesus uh, replied, Do what you came for, friend. Wow. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his his ear. So Judas does what what he was going to do. Jesus, Jesus is arrested. I don't know what that looks like. They didn't probably have handcuffs back then. They might have had some sort of chains or shackles. I don't know what that looked like. But they formally arrested him. And we, hear, we know from John 18 that this one that steps up uh, swinging a sword is Peter. And you know what? I can totally understand this from Peter. Peter has been told multiple times that Jesus is going to die. And, you, and he says, no, don't, don't let that happen. And, and Jesus says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's like, okay, so maybe it's sinking in. Jesus is going to die. And then Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times. And he says, no, that's not going to happen. You know, And this is a large crowd coming out here. I, I don't know what Peter's mindset was, but I don't think he was getting out of there alive. I think he was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to betray him. I'm bringing this sword out. I'm going down swinging. You know, I, I'm, I bet that's what on, what's on his mind. I'm not going to betray him. No. I'm taking this sword. I'm going to take out as many as I can. There's a lot more clubs and swords than I've got, but I'm going to do what I can. <laughs> I'm betting you that's what was on his mind. But they were outnumbered and outgunned. And, uh, and in Luke 22, it doesn't say it here in this verse, in this account, but in Luke 22, 50 through 51, we see in addition that Jesus, when, uh, Jesus picks up the ear and heals the ear. That, that just blows my mind that Jesus heals this guy that's arresting him. And they still arrest him. They still take him to this trial. and Verse 52 Jesus talking to Peter, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So Jesus explains to Peter, Jesus is not helpless. Jesus is going through all of this in this incredible agony and this incredible anguish, and it's not because he can't find a way out. Jesus is not backed into a corner. (laughs) Jesus is marching forward in what he's been called to do. But at any point, if Jesus wanted another way, as he was praying for another way, there's always a way out, because Jesus is more powerful than anybody. Um, But how are the scriptures going to be fulfilled? What, What scriptures is he talking about? Well, many We'll just take, for example, Isaiah uh, 53, verses 5 and 6. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. For that to come true, Jesus could not call on legions of angels and conquer and, and rule in Israel and make put all wrongs to right right then. He was doing as his father instructed. And verse 53, Jesus turns to this crowd that's arresting him and says, Am I uh, leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Now, first of all, we know from history, we've talked about before, there's a lot of people that have already tried leading rebellions to overthrow Rome and and this is the Sanhedrin coming out, so this is probably not somebody trying to overthrow a, Rome. They're upset because he's upsetting the, the the political power within people that are Jewish, not just Jews trying to throw off uh, Israel. And um, so he says, "My you know my rabble rouser, and you're coming at me with clubs." Every he says, "Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me." But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted, deserted him and fled. So again, we see more prophecy coming fulfilled. What, what gets fulfilled this time? Remember we read from last week, Zechariah 36, 31. I will, Jesus says, too, he talks about it in, uh, in the previous verses. From Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So that's the Lord will strike the shepherd. This is Jesus is going to uh, go to the cross, and the sheep will be scattered. His disciples are going to flee, and that happens right here. We see even in this verse that prophecy being fulfilled. It says, you know, you could have nabbed me any time. I was there, but they were afraid of the people. Verse fifty-seven. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So they take him back and, and um, they take him back and, and Peter follows, but he is not standing there with him like, "This is my guy." He's standing way way on back, trying not to be noticed, but close enough that he can see what's happening. And the chief verse 59 the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. It's interesting that they weren't looking at true evidence to put him to death. They had decided that this guy's got to go, and now they're trying to find a way to make it work, and they're having this trial that is not according to scripture. Uh, But this crew is determined to have him done away with, even if it's in the middle of the night. Verse 60, But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Even though they had false witnesses, nobody had anything that was good enough to put him to death so that they could tidy up what was not a right trial anyway. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, that's a misunderstanding, obviously, of what Jesus meant when he was speaking of his own body. But, um, and it says that they were false witnesses too, which is, which is interesting. So maybe they very well understood what Jesus meant, but they are trying to find reason to put him to death anyway. Verse 62, Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Now Jesus already knew he was going to be condemned. He already knew um, that he was not getting out of this. But he could have, <laughs> you know. There he had he, uh, again. We know that he has all the strength and power, but he remained silent again to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah fifty three seven. The two verses after the verses we just read. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Again, the Passover lamb, blood shed for us, as we spoke about last week. But he's fulfilling more scripture even as we go along. The high priest said to him, "I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God." So he puts the screws to Jesus and says, and charges him under oath. By the living God. And, And up to this point, Jesus had been quiet, let the people say what they wanted to say. He didn't try to defend himself because he wasn't trying to get out of this. He was going to let it carry out because he knew what was going to be done to him was according to the will of the Father. In verse 64, Jesus does answer this time and says, You have said so. And then he replied, But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And everybody would recognize this from Daniel 7.13 that we read last week. He's equating himself to deity. And verse 65, The high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now have you you have heard the blasphemy what do you think he is worthy of death they answered. so the high priest he tears his clothes common thing in that day and time when somebody is just utterly disgusted he uh, tears his clothes and says he has spoken blasphemy well if if Jesus wasn't the Messiah and the Son of God yes that would be blasphemy but he is so it's very much not blasphemy they just don't understand and blindly choose not to Verse 67. Then they spit on his face and struck him with their fists. Try to find that in the Old Testament law on how uh, trials are supposed to go. You're not going to find that. Others slapped him and say, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? So uh, it doesn't say who. I mean, are these the people from the Sanhedrin? Is this the temple police that they ordered them to do that? I I don't know, but it's obviously not lawful treatment. Even if somebody who has, even if somebody was to be condemned for blasphemy, this is not how that's supposed to happen. They make a mockery of how a trial should go for the God's chosen people. Verse sixty nine. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. And so a lot of people had probably seen Jesus teaching and you know, had seen his disciples. The servant girl notices him, but he denied it before them all because there 's people all around hes, "No, I do not know what you 're talking about." he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, "This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, "I do not know the man, uh, so he lies. you know this is definitely not a shining moment for peter in verse seventy three after a little while, those standing uh, there went up to Peter and said, "Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away." And so here, here we have Peter, who just shortly before was willing to die. Now he sees this incredible group of people. He knows what Jesus has said. He, he I think, he knows how this is going to go, and he's scared. You know, he's scared. Um, and also, I love that his accent gives him away. You know. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Virginia Beach, and I, I was never around anybody with a southern accent. But my family were, were all hillbillies from the western part of Virginia. The Accent was a little bit different, you know. But I, I love it. So you, you know, when I hear somebody from Virginia, I can tell the difference from somebody that's from Georgia and somebody that's from the mountains in Virginia. It's just a little bit different, and they're both speaking southern. And, and <laughs> all right, yeah. Some people know what I'm talking about, you know. So you, you can tell the difference, and apparently Peter's got a thick. Galilean accent, and so he's sitting there talking to people, trying to just observe but not draw attention to himself. And uh, Peter's thick Galilean accent gives him away. Uh, And then, um, and then you know what Jesus had foretold only a few hours before is coming true. Jesus, uh, Peter is about to deny Jesus for a third time. Verse seventy-four. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them. You know, call down curses, you know, you know death, be- I don't know what he said, but before the God, I do not know this man, death, be- such and such happened to me if I'm lying. You know, when, you know, uh, you, everybody's been in an argument and start, and like, when, I promise, I promise on such and such and such, you know, start making all kinds of things. But he's calling down curses on himself. When you're calling down that, that you're invoking the Lord in that. May God strike me if blah, blah, blah. He's, 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 he's bringing God into a lie, which is crazy. Uh, they began to call down curses and swore to them, I do not know the man. calls him the man. This is spoken in a contemptuous way. Um, I do not know the man. And as soon as he said it, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. Luke, uh, Luke, in Luke 22, 61, the account, same account from Luke, we have a little bit more information. You know, Peter's on the periphery, courtyard by the gate, wherever he might have been at this particular moment. Jesus was probably a good ways off, but after the rooster crows, we know from Luke that Jesus turns and looks at him. And can you imagine that heartache can you even imagine you know he he believes Jesus is who he said he was he's willing to follow him to death he's been told that that these things are going to happen he's convinced that they're not probably that he's going to stand his ground that he will stand when the temptation comes then it happens just as Jesus said and he looks over and gets and he looks right into the eyes of Jesus I mean can you even imagine you know, there's times in my life where, where I've really blown it, You know, where I know, man, I just blew it. But I, I can't imagine how crushing, just absolutely crushing this must have been for Peter. Remember the words uh, of Jesus, quoting here from Luke 22:31, which would have happened earlier. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked it to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers so Jesus even at this moment he had already been praying for for Simon for Peter because he knew this was coming and he will continue to pray for him and we'll get to see later that he uh, restores Peter in, in such a beautiful way so I, I don't know maybe if you're like me maybe at some point this week you've, you've failed maybe you've blown it I, I, there's a couple of times here in the last few weeks where there's been some moments where, I, where I've blown it you know The encouraging thing is that Jesus offers forgiveness. He carried your sins. He carried my sins. And He walked that path alone, carrying that cross. Because of that, though, we have forgiveness. And also, we have restoration. Just as Peter was restored with Jesus, uh, we can be restored in our relationship, and our fellowship with Christ. And furthermore, you know, Jesus experienced this separation from God that was so great and so horrible so that we don't have to do that for all time. Which is just, that's, just good, that's good news, isn't it? We talk about the gospel, we talk about good news. That is the good news. Uh, through Christ and through His work and through His willingness to, uh, to, to walk uh, in the way that the Lord called Him to, to endure these things, we have forgiveness, we have restoration, and it's such a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you so much for Jesus, and we thank you so much for what you have done for us. And I know on our darkest days, Lord, we um, I know that a lot of us have fallen. I know that a lot of us... All, all we like sheep have gone astray, every man to his own way. We thank you, Lord, that you made a way for us to be right with you. And even for those of us that know you and follow you, Lord, uh, when that relationship is broken, I thank you, Lord, that you can restore it. I thank you that you're always faithful even when we're not faithful. We thank you so much, Lord, that your son was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we thank you so much that he endured the separation from you that we deserve. I know I rightly deserve it. But I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to experience that separation because of Jesus. And we just give you so much thanks, Lord. We thank you so much for the hope that we have. We thank you so much that we can have victory in this life now. We can have joy. And in the life to come, Lord, we thank you that we don't have to be separated from you because because of the payment that was made. We thank you, Lord, for the spotless lamb that was slain. We thank you for the, the body and blood. And we thank you so much that you've made us right with you. Thank you for your incredible love. And I pray, Lord, for the rest of the time that we have, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that you would draw us even into a closer communion with you, Lord, that we would walk close to you, that we would desire to serve you with our lives, that we would walk close to you with every day that we have left on this earth, Lord, uh, that we would treat people the way that you taught us to treat them. We thank you for the life of Jesus that taught us how to live how you want us to live. And we thank you, Lord, that even though he went to the cross, that he was raised again, Lord, and that he's alive and that he's coming back. And we thank you so much for the hope that we have because of what you've done. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would touch us in our hearts this morning. Um, to be about your work and to walk closer to you and to love you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.